All right, good morning, everyone. Okay, good to see you all. Glad that things are a little chatty as we uh, gather together and have opportunity to uh, reconnect. Um, so today there was snow on the ground, so it's probably a good time to tell you what to do when there's snow on the ground on Sundays, all right? Our typical routine is it, one of us can usually make it here, so we don't typically try to uh, play the game of, you know, are we or aren't we and calling around amongst all the elders. Our routine is pretty simple. If you can make it safely, uh, then come, Okay. If you can't make it safely, obviously we have live streams, so that makes things a lot easier. So uh, we just don't want you to put yourself in danger. So if you can make it safely on a Sunday morning, uh, on most occasions we will be here uh, when it snows, okay? Unless it's bad, and then you can just go to the chapel website and uh, check there, or we will send you an email, okay? But our typical routine is we don't cancel unless it's very extreme, and then uh, if you're home, you can uh, certainly observe things on live stream, okay? Today is the beginning of the season of Advent. Advent means this. It means the arrival of a notable person. So in this season of Advent that we as believers uh, celebrate and experience together, it is a season in which we anticipate and celebrate the love of God that is expressed in the incarnation of Christ. That is God coming in flesh for our saving. So over the next few weeks, we will begin to sing songs that uh, encourage us to reflect on the joy of Christ's coming. And the hope is this, that in our reflecting, it will encourage the idea of adoration towards Christ, which is deep love, appreciation, and respect. Okay, so that we would focus, so focus on Christ, that there is a, a deep sense of adoration that arises in our minds and causes us to say something like what Psalm 106, 1 and 2 says. It says this, praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? So every Sunday we gather together to sing of the works of God in this season of ultimately the coming of his son, Jesus Christ, for our saving. And so as we do that, our, our hope is that we will aspire to give God the praise that is due to his name together. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning as we uh, look to the Lord in prayer. So, Father, we thank you for this season of Advent, a season in which we long more deeply and hope more fully in the glory that came in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, this morning we desire to celebrate your presence. We desire to be moved by truth into a spirit of adoration and praise and gratitude. And Lord, as we do that this morning, we're mindful that many within our church family in this holiday season that we're just beginning, that there are many who have, in the last year, lost loved ones, have walked through very difficult seasons. And so, Lord, sometimes the joy that we hope for is muted by the struggles that we are facing. And so we pray, God, that as we sing truth, that that truth will deeply minister to our hearts and reignite our true joy and our true hope and our true confidence in Jesus. And Lord, we pray that for the Kelly family today, uh, pray that over Diana today, uh, Lord, that your word and as it is sung will 
fill us with hope and joy and confidence. And Lord, we prayed for your comfort to rest on that family. I pray that your healing hand would be touching Diana and being at work powerfully in her life. And I pray, God, for those that are in rather deep touch with sorrow this morning, with loss this morning. I pray that your truth, proclaimed and declared in song, will be truth that sets free, will be truth that reignites hope and joy and deep trust in you as our God. So we aim to glorify you this morning. So meet with us and, and allow us to sing truth that we are mindful of powerfully for the glory and exaltation of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Let's worship him together. God is able with us. God is able. He will never fail. He is almighty God. He's greater. Greater than all we seek. Greater than all we ask. He has done great things. Lifted to life our God is able in his name we overcome for the God is with us. God is with us. God is on our side. He will make a way. Far above all we know. Far above all we hope. He's done great things. He has done great things. You lift him up. Lift it up. Defeated the grave, raised to life, our God is able. In his name, we overcome. For the Lord, our God is able. God is with us. He will go before us. God is with us. He will go before. He will never leave us. He will never leave us. God is for us. He has opened us. He will never fail us. He will never fail us. God is with us. God is with us. 
a new song this morning. We're going to start with the bridge, which is a simple uh, set of lyrics that you know. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Let's sing this together. Praise God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him Praise Him for the wonders of His love. Praise God, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, praise Him for the wonders of His love.
Are you hurting? Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? 
Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open. Forgiveness was
Lord, this morning we know that we can come before you and bring all our failures, bring our addictions. We can come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Lord, you are mighty. You are strong. Nothing we do surprises you. That's why you sent your son to die for us. There simply was no way for us to work our way up to be with you, to be in heaven, to work our way into good standing. You had to send yourself as a sacrifice to die for us. It's incredible and amazing grace and mercy. And we know that we can come over and over again, Lord, to the altar and lay ourselves down before you. God, this morning we ask that as we hear your word, that we would lay our burdens, lay our issues down at the altar, and that your word would wash over them this morning, because it is powerful and it is strong. We thank you for this time of worship, God. Be with us as we hear your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. So last uh, Sunday morning, one of the points towards the end of the text that we were looking at is the truth that the church is the family of God. Uh, He's called us into a nation. He's called us to be part of a temple in which he dwells, but he's called us to be family. And uh, one of the things that comes along with families is, are these little creatures called children, right? And they demand a lot of care and attention and, uh, you know, when people visit a church family, uh, the nature of the child care ministry is a very important thing to them. And as a church family, we've always tried to our best ability to provide good child care. One of the struggles that we have as a church family is getting people onboarded to serve in the context of child care ministry because children are demanding and exhausting. And uh, that calls for a different level of sacrifice. Uh, It's a responsibility that we have. Uh, It's something we've addressed a number of times. And I I just want you to know that we have a need in that area currently in our church family. Um... And for the sake of those that lead and put together schedules and serve in that ministry, we, we're just simply at a place where we need more people to step up and say, in this area, I'm willing to be part of the family and to share some of the responsibility that's present. Your age does not deter you from serving in this ministry. My in-laws served in child care in their 80s in our church family. Okay, they're 94. I'm not asking them to help anymore. Okay. <laughs> We love them, and we want to respect them in these years that God has given them. But it's something we shouldn't have to get up and announce, okay? But we need to. And uh, I just wanted to take this time just to encourage you. There's a sign-up sheet on the table. You know, a mom and a son, a a dad and his daughter, the mix doesn't matter. It's, It's just part of being a church family. And... My burden is that when people come from outside, if that's not well-staffed and well-run and clean and safe, that's just not the way that it should be. So we'd love to have a a larger group of people involved so that the rotation of that responsibility can be distributed fairly and evenly, okay? And it's just, I just feel like it's something that we shouldn't have to ask a lot to get the help that we need. So I really want to encourage you to think about that as a place that you might be able to plug in 
and help out in our church ministry. So there's a sheet on the sign-up table. We have a little information table out there. There's an information sheet that you can get a hold of and use that to understand what's going on in our church family. And also it's a place to volunteer to serve in various ministries within our church family. So I really want to encourage you to step up as a church family so that when people visit that there's we have we have a good child care program okay and that it's respectable well staffed and that the needs are being distributed amongst us as a church family okay so just a, a small group of individuals should not have to carry that burden okay so that's kind of intended to be a little bit of a direct message but for all of us okay uh, so i'm going to encourage you uh, in that way this morning. Father, I pray your blessing now as Brother James comes to preach your word. Uh, God, it, what a privilege we have to listen to truth, first to sing it, and to find our hearts deeply encouraged. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? And Father, I pray that you will bless James as he declares more of your truth this morning in the word spoken, which is our calling as pastors, for the encouragement of your church family that you have called us to be part of. So bless my brother, God, deeply with the fullness of your spirit this morning so that truth comes and changes us. For the glory of Christ, we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. And for the rest of us, would you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. I love this book. <laughs> there is so much uh, depth and wisdom here in this book. I hope you are taking time to not only listen to our messages, um, but to spend time through it uh, during the uh, weeks and the months that we will be in this book. Paul poured his heart out to the Ephesian believers and talking about the wonders of the gospel, the beauty of Christ, the amazement of God's glory, the power that works within us, all of these blessings upon blessings, God poured out through the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian believers and then to the local churches around that area, but to you. And a 30 or 45 minute sermon alone is not enough to really go deep into this passage. I really encourage you to be able to get into it deeply. Meditate on it. As, as I also said, I'm trying to memorize it, rememorize it again. So uh, hold me accountable to that. We have gone through Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2. And it is an amazing section where Paul is just pouring out praise to God for what he has done for us in Christ. And he goes from praise to prayer, praise to prayer. And then he talks about our, our deep problem that we had in Ephesians chapter 2, that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were caught in a, a enslavement in Satan and sin and death. But it's by God's amazing grace that he set us free in Christ. And then he tells us, by grace you've been saved through faith and not of your own. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And Paul is just so amazed at the fact that you were not only saved by his grace through faith, but then what he's done is you are his workmanship. 
that God is working in you so that he could work through you in a traumatic way, an amazing way. And then what God then does is says he has not only reconciled you to God himself, but he's also brought about reconciliation, diverse people who were able to come together in unity to display God's glory. And then Paul gets to this section here and What we're going to find here is that Paul is going to begin a prayer, but then he gets sidetracked. He, you know, he's kind of got my mind. I sometimes start on one thing and all of a sudden it's like, you ever see that movie? What is it? Um, Up. Did you ever see the movie Up? All right. The little dog. I love the little dog. You know, squirrel. And that's, that's kind of what happens with Paul. Paul, it's a Holy Spirit inspired digression. He goes off into this section that we're going to look at. And then he'll come back to the prayer that Pastor Doug will, uh, Lord willing, share with us next week. Let's look at this section. And then we're going to just try to break it down into four parts. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of man in generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power to me. Though I am the very least of all the apostles or saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through him, through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you which is your glory. This is God's sufficient, eternal, authoritative, life-giving, and life-changing word. Would you pray with me? Father, as, as we look at this section, there's some confusing things here in this section. I pray that by your spirit, you will help me to preach with clarity. I pray by your Holy Spirit, you will help me to preach Christ because he is central here. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, what Paul had done was to reveal the mystery that was hidden, but now is revealed. I pray that you would help me to reveal it. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing to you. I pray for the congregation today that hears me, but more importantly, hears you. Father, I pray that they would hear of the unsearchable riches that we have in Christ. I pray that you would help us to be overwhelmed with the glory that is ours in Christ 
And thank you for the amazing privilege that we have to be filled by your spirit, led by your spirit, and to be an ambassador out in this dark world. So I pray that you would work through us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul is um, in a prison. And Paul, as I said, was beginning this section, and he is sharing with them. He's getting ready to pray for them, and then he gets distracted. I should tell you in the Greek, um, there are three main sentences here. There's one very long sentence, verses 1 through 7. There's a second longer sentence, uh, section, uh, sentence itself is verses 8 through 12. And then there's a final sentence, verse 13. So you could break this passage down into three sections, but of course I can't do that. Um, So I'm going to pick out four themes I want you to think about this morning. Paul's ministry of suffering, first. Then God's mystery of salvation, second. Third, I want you to think of Christ's majesty and our unity, third. And then finally, I want you to think of our security. So... Paul's ministry. Let's start with that. It begins here in verse 1, and it says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and for reading purposes, if you want, you can go back into Acts, and you will be able to see that Paul was taking a um, donation to Jerusalem, and as he was taking this donation to Jerusalem, he was hoping to have the opportunity to be able to tell about the Gentile believers that are there to be able to come into the community of faith. But as Paul goes into Jerusalem, he is going to be imprisoned. He is going to be accused of bringing Gentile people into the church, and he is going to have himself arrested. And Paul is now going to go on a series of arrests, and he is going to be arrested, number one, and he's going to be asking to go to Rome, and he's going to get arrested and go into house arrest in Rome, number two, and then he may be released, and they'll have a final arrest, which we will find at the end of his life. But what we find with Paul is this. If you read the book of Acts, at his conversion, Jesus said about Paul that I must show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. Now, I I don't know many people that are going to be drawn to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ by saying that you are going to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your life is going to be a life of suffering. But that's exactly what happened with the Apostle Paul. His life was suffering after suffering. If you want to take some time to read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you will find how Paul suffered immensely for the gospel. And so Paul suffered immensely so that people will be able to hear the truth. What I find interesting about Paul here is this. As we look at Paul's ministry, I want you to think of three words. Number one, he's a sufferer. Talks about in 2 Corinthians that he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was imprisoned, he was mistreated over and over again, and primarily he was mistreated by these Jewish believers, Jewish people that were trying to attack the gospel. Well, Paul was there because Paul, as a rabbi, he was oftentimes trying to attack this gospel message. He imprisoned people. In fact, we see in the book of Acts, he was there when Stephen was stoned and killed. So the apostle Paul understands this. And he understands the hatred and the anger that they had. But then what Paul sees in his suffering is this, that this beautiful message that brought hope and changed people's lives 
changed his life that he wants people to hear that same gospel message. And the people that were far off, he sees them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Those that he hated, he loves. And those that he wanted to punish, he was willing to suffer for. That's an amazing thing of what the gospel had done in Paul's life. He saw himself as a sufferer. He said, I'm a prisoner. But what amazes me here is this. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner of who? Caesarea, Philippi, uh, Rome, Nero, Festus. I see myself as a prisoner of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Paul saw his whole life, his every element of his life was Christ-centered. Now, oftentimes do you or I do this. Paul saw even the difficulties that he was going through as sovereignly ordained by God. That God, through his hands, had filtered out and says, I am going to allow this suffering to come into your life. Paul in Philippians, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But then he recognized this. That God, you have sovereignly ordained that I go through these trials. So the first thing I see about Paul's ministry is first that he is a sufferer. The second, I see that he's a servant. He says, not only am I a prisoner of Christ Jesus, but he says, on behalf of you, Gentiles. What would that be like for us to, to get a letter from the Apostle Paul and he says, not only am I a prisoner for Christ Jesus, but I'm a prisoner for you and you and you and you. That, that I am going into prison. Why? So that I can share the good news of the gospel with you. I am your servant. You know, we have a lot of preaching that is out there today that basically says that, you know what, health and wealth and prosperity, that if you are really in the know in God, that you are going to have immense blessings and blessing upon blessing will be earthly blessings. Pastors with big mansions, pastors who fly their own personal jets, churches, mega churches all over the place. That is what is brought out today. But Paul said this, that I am in prison this lonely prison for you. So Paul saw himself as a sufferer, but Paul also saw himself as a servant. But there's a third thing I see here. Paul not only saw himself as a sufferer and a servant, but Paul's ministry was a ministry of stewardship. Look here in verse 2. It says, assuming that you heard of the stewardship, yours may say administration or dispensation or admission, administration, but the word stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. It's interesting, back in this culture, a steward, kind of like your financial planner, you would give money to this person, this person then would invest that money and hopefully make you more money. You would hope that your financial person is being able to do that for you. Well, here, what was happening spiritually is that God had given Paul this amazing ministry, and he says, I want you to take this ministry and multiply it. I want you to take this message of hope, and I want you to share it with as many people as you have the opportunity to share. So Paul saw himself suffering, yes, suffering, but I'm suffering because of you, Christ. And I'm a servant for you, Ephesians, but I am a steward, the steward of the gospel. I have this gospel message that is given to me in jars of clay and that the surpassing greatness of Christ is that I can get this opportunity to be able to share this message of hope with as many people as I can. I wonder, as I was reading this passage and I was working through this passage this um, week, I was wondering, how oftentimes do I find myself looking at life that way? 
that as a sufferer, do I see my suffering primarily filtered through the hands of a loving and sovereign God? We have a whole book of the Bible, Job, where God allowed for pain to come in Job's life. He lost his family, he lost his fortune, he lost his health, and God sovereignly ordained that to happen. Why? So that God's glory could come out of Job's life. So do I see my sufferings in that way? Do you? As you you go through your trials and troubles, would you be sitting in a Roman jail thinking about how I could pray for people and how I can write letters to people and share the good news of hope with people? See, that's what Paul did. Paul took the pains of his life and he used it as an opportunity to share the good news of gospel grace to others. So important. For us, as we go through our trials, more often than not, we find ourselves complaining and grumbling and and asking these questions. Why me? Why are you doing this to me, God? Or how in the world am I going to handle this? Or get me out of here, God. That's not what Paul thought. What Paul thought was, what are you going to do through me for your glory? So Paul's ministry is the first thing that comes up to me here as I look at this passage, that Paul saw himself as a sufferer, he saw himself as a servant, but he also saw himself as a steward of the gospel of grace. Now let's go to verse 3. It says, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As it is written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was made known to the sons, not made known to the sons of men in other generations. Paul is going to use this phrase mystery multiple times in this section. And what mystery is this, when we often think of mystery, you know, mystery novels, it's something that's hidden that you will never really understand. But biblically, mystery is a little bit different, radically different. Mystery is this fact of God's revealing something that was hidden, but now has been revealed. What's mysterious about it is that, God, you, you did this. That's amazing. And that's what the message of mystery is. That Paul is saying that God has done something radically different than we could ever imagine. And he has made it known to you. So Paul is saying that this thing that was hidden is now revealed. And what is it? God's grand purpose to bring people into communion with him and into unity with one another. What we had back in the Garden of Eden, you know, as as you had the Garden of Eden, you had Adam and Eve walking in the Garden of Eden. The unity that was there. The, the ability for Adam and Eve to walk among the animals and never have fear of those animals. To, to walk with God and not have fear of God and not to be drawn away from him. To, to be able to walk in community with one another. There was an intimacy between Adam and Eve. The unity between humanity and nature. The, human, the, the intimacy between humanity and nature. The intimacy between humanity and God. And the intimacy between humanity and humanity was forever shattered. Or at least shattered at that moment in time in Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, what happened is that this other counselor, rather than God, comes in and gets even Adam's ear and gets them to believe that there's something other than God that to satisfy them. And they went away from God. They went away from his law. They went away from his beauty. And they looked for something else. And they made it about themselves. And all of the disharmony, all of the disease, all of the problems, all the pain, all of the suffering, all the trials, all the troubles are a byproduct of that choice. 
in the Garden of Eden. And not only that choice, but that choice then filtered down to every single human being I'm looking at. That there was a nature of sin that came upon us at that moment in time. And every single child born into this world, except for the Lord Jesus Christ, was born with that nature of sin. This rebel within that, I don't want you, God. I want something other than you. That rebel within. And if it weren't for the beauty of God's amazing grace, we would stay in that rebellion. And what God did, the mystery is this, that God would the ultimately offended one, who we offend him day after day, that ultimately offended one, before we had ever sinned, planned to send his son to rescue you. Amazing message. A message where he is looking to bring you into community with him and that he's looking to bring you into community with one another so that we can once again eventually show what we were supposed to show in the Garden of Eden, the harmony between humanity and humanity, the harmony between humanity and God, and the harmony between humanity and nature. See, that is the beauty of it. And so what God did this, in the Old Testament, this message was there, was hidden in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, if you go there, it says in Genesis 3.15 that a snake is going to come and that that snake is going to bite at Christ's heel and that Christ is going to crush his head. The gospel is there. The gospel is seen in, in, Moses, in jo- I'm sorry, Abraham's life that as Jesus comes and walks between these pieces alone, that I will go to be sacrificed for you. You do not have to do anything. That message is there. That message is there in the Ark of the Covenant. That message is there through the sacrifices in the Old Testament. That message has been through the Old Testament. But what is happening now is this. It is in a greater way revealed through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, as Isaiah was writing in Isaiah 53, and he says, Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. When, when Isaiah talked about Emmanuel, this baby that is going to come, he talked about these things, but it was is hidden to him but is now more, we call it progressive revelation, more and more is revealed until Christ left heaven, took on a human body, walked on earth, died a vicarious death for us, rose victoriously, is ascended to the right hand. Now the story is clear. And what was hidden in the past is now made clear to you and to me. And Paul says this mystery was made known to me by revelation. Now, that story and that message, I bet you, if you walked outside, there are many people that would tell you what Christmas is. They will say that Jesus came as a little baby. They could tell you what Resurrection Sunday is. That's where Jesus supposedly died on a cross on Friday and rose victoriously. There are many people that know the knowledge, have the information, but they have not been revealed. It has not been revealed yet. What Paul is saying is this, I knew that story. But I was on a road to Damascus to kill and imprison people because I didn't believe that story. But it was on that road to Damascus that God apprehended me. It was the Lord Jesus Christ who got a hold of me and said, stop. You're doing this to me. You're hurting me because you're hurting my people. 
And Paul, for the first time, now opens his eyes and sees the unsearchable riches of Christ. He sees Christ in his glory, and he recognizes for the first time the things that he knew intellectually now have become real in his life. And he never was the same again. Paul said that when you read this, you can perceive of my insight into the mystery of Christ. That I can take the Old Testament, Paul says, and I can show you that Christ is there over and over again. Verse 5, which was made known to the sons, not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it now has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. This mystery, in essence, was concealed in the Old Testament. Some understood aspects of the gospel, but they didn't have the whole picture of the gospel. But now we do, because now it has been revealed. The Old Testament has now been fulfilled in the person and work of Christ. Verse 6. It says, this is the mystery. So what's this mystery? That the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, if you just take the Old Testament, what you will seem to find is that God has his unique people, the nation of Israel, started with Abraham, then through that time in Egypt, and now this great people, and now he has given them a land, and that was what primarily the Old Testament was all about. This people of God, and the people of God was viewed as the nation of Israel. But there were themes throughout the Old Testament that would tell you that it goes much further than just the nation of Israel. Do you remember Abraham? Abraham, God says, I want you to look at the stars and I want you to look at the sand and your people will be from all these nations. All nations will be blessed through you. That theme was there. Or how about Ruth, the Moabitess? We have a whole book of the Bible from her. She is a Moabitess. Then she follows her mother-in-law and then she becomes in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we have? We have Jonah, another book. Jonah did not want to tell the gospel to these people, the Ninevites. He did not want to go there. He ran away from God, but God says, I want to rescue some of these people. In the book of Ezekiel, we have similar themes, that the nation of Israel will be an opportunity for the nations of the world to be blessed. What the gospel, the mystery is this, that you, for the vast majority of us, we are Gentiles, non-Jews, The gospel is there for us. It's not just for Israel. It is for you and for me as well. We are no longer second-class citizens where it's the Jew and then it's us way down here at the feet. We're equal. We're connected. We are in a family with the people of God. That is a mystery. We are fellow heirs. We are members of the same body, the unity. We are partakers of this great promise that God has given you in Christ. And all of that comes through the person of Christ and the proclamation of the gospel. And Paul says, of this gospel, this this good news, this good news of hope, I was made a minister, Paul said. The privilege, I was a persecutor of the church, but what God did for me was not only did he rescue me, But he has given me an opportunity to be a spokesman for him. You know, every Sunday we get an opportunity to stand in the pulpit. It is an immense uh, privilege and it's an immense responsibility. It's a heavy weight that is on us. But this immense privilege that, God, you not only have rescued us, 
through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, you've given us a ministry of reconciliation, but it's not just for us that stand in the pulpit. Every single one of you have been given a ministry of reconciliation to be used in your life and then through your life so that the good news of the gospel will transform you and that that good news of the gospel be used to transform one another. So Paul began by talking about his ministry of suffering. Second, he talked about Christ's ministry of salvation. Third, I want you to see Christ's majesty and our unity. Verse 8 and following. He says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So what Paul started by talking about was this. Paul says that I have this immense mystery that is now being revealed through my life. And now Paul is saying that I have been given this by grace and that we are joined together as a body of believers. And what Paul now says is this, that I want you to see Christ's glory through this. He says, I'm the very least of the apostles. He says, I've gotten an opportunity to preach the good news of the gospel, but I see myself as the least. I find it interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, towards the beginning of Paul's ministry, Paul saw himself this way. He describes himself as the least of the apostles. So we've got the 12 apostles and then Paul, 13 apostles. Paul says, I see myself as the least of these apostles. Now here in Ephesians chapter 3, towards a little bit towards the further into his ministry, Paul describes himself as the very least of all the saints. Now just before he dies, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15, Paul describes himself as the what? Chief of all sinners. The more Paul matured in the faith, the more he saw himself as a sinner. It was not that he was sinning more. He wasn't. Paul just saw and he became increasingly aware of or maybe sensitive to his sin and his rebellion in his heart. And then as that troubled him, it led him to look at the amazing glory of God's grace in his life. So, so as he grew in maturity, what he saw was his sin but his Savior. He saw his guilt, but then he saw his grace. He praised God over and over again. See, the closer that you draw to God, you will see his holiness. And the more you become aware of his holiness, the more you will see the sinfulness of your own heart. Isaiah saw that. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Peter says, get away from me, Lord. Job saw it in his own life. The more you see God, the more you see your sin, but then the more you are amazed by God's grace. Paul was given this ministry, and he says, I was given the ministry of grace to preach. What is preaching? Preaching is proclamation. Preaching is explanation, trying to explain a passage, and preaching is application. That's the three elements I think of it. What we do is we proclaim something, we explain something, and we try to apply something. Those are the three elements of preaching. And that's what Paul was saying. I've got this amazing ministry, mystery, that I am sharing with you, and I want to proclaim it, I want to explain it, I want you to apply it. 
And then in about three or four, probably four weeks from now, when we after the Christian uh, Christmas season, we're going to get back into the application section of what Paul is going to do with this passage. Paul says, I'm preaching two things. I want you to see it in verse 8. He says, I'm preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ, number one. And I want to preach in verse 9 to bring light to everyone. Those two things are so important in Paul's life. Paul wants to see the unfathomable riches, the unsearchable riches of Christ. That Christ is at the center of all that he sees. Why is it unsearchable riches? If you and I understand the depth of our poverty, as it says in 2 Corinthians, though he was rich, for your sake he became what? Poor. That we through his poverty might become what? Rich. See, when we start to understand that we are deeply impoverished and we are broken away, that God, through his amazing gift in Christ, He puts himself at the center. Our poverty is great. The evil is great in our lives. The cost that it was to bring us to grace is the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that should affect our hearts. You and I should spend our lives so enthralled by Christ, so amazed by Christ, seeing him and savoring him, delighting him and desiring him. Your life should be so Christ-centered, Christ-focused, Filled with passion to praise him and to reveal him. But our lives become much other than that. We get ourselves focused on the comforts of our lives, our homes, our cars, our relationships. We desperately need these horizontal things and we miss Christ. Christ is your answer. Augustine said this, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are what? Restless. Until it finds its rest in you. Augustine went on in the, in the confessions and he talked about the fact that God has created us in such a way to have a passionate love for him. But when we don't, we have this what we'll call disordered love or an inordinate love. You will go after something in this earth other than Christ. And it will leave you in three ways. Hungry, lonely, or enslaved. Hungry because you were constantly going after that thing to make you happy and it will never satisfy you. Lonely because you're craving that thing that you're letting go of love for other people. And enslaved, you think it's going to bring you freedom? It doesn't. What Paul is saying here is this. I want you to know the unsearchable riches of Christ. I wish I could try to understand this. I wish I could explain it. We all need redemption, don't we? We all need forgiveness. God has given you forgiveness. Today, you may feel guilt-ridden and overwhelmed because of some sin in your past or current sin in your life, and God has rescued you if you trust in him. It is forgiven. It's done. It's wiped clean. The slate is done. He throws it into the deepest part of the ocean, never to be seen again. You are forgiven. Some of you today struggle with needing love. I need that person to love me. I need that person to like me. I need that person to be in relationship with me. What God says is this. I have predestined you in love for adoption into my family. 
Some of you know that you are broken and you need holiness. But God says, I see you as holy and blameless before me in your sight, in his sight. Some of you live your lives without purpose. God says, I have a great purpose for you. I'm going to work in you and then I'm going to work amazingly through you so that the world will see you. Some people wonder, what is the purpose of church? The purpose of church is to be able to be a gospel minister and that the unity, black and white, male and female, young and old, slave and free, come together as a oneness and then go out into the world because what the world will never be able to do with all the disharmony and disunity that we have in this world today, you think a politician is going to solve that? You think some political group is going to solve the problems that we have of disunity and disharmony in this world? It's a lie. You could put all the signs in your front yard that is not going to bring about the unity that only Christ can do. You want an inheritance? Maybe you're fighting over an inheritance today. I want you to know you have an inheritance in Christ. You're worried about your life and you're, you're losing your life. God says, I will give you life and life to the full. You want peace? You lack peace? God says, I am your peace. See, he is the amazing, unsearchable riches of God's amazing grace. He is love. He is truth. He is life. He is salvation. He is your forgiveness. He is your freedom. He is your hope. He is your peace. He is your joy. It is about Christ. It's when we can see that. And when we are so captivated by Christ, what happens is this. We want a fellowship with one another. We want to love one another, especially those in the body of Christ. Because we're going to spend eternity with each other. And then what we want to do is to get more and more people here. Not more and more people to the chapel at Warren Bradley, but more and more people into the people of God. Paul recognized that there is hope after hope after hope that is found in Christ. My profession, I hate to say this, um, there are people that will come to professionals to deal with their anger or their depression or their fears or the loneliness. And they'll say that the Bible is good for certain things, but it is not good for that. What a spit in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you can go and find wisdom and hope in this world, go for it because you won't find it. It's about Christ. Christ is majestic. And you show his majesty by your unity. Talking to Pastor Bates earlier and talking about fellowship in the body of Christ and just making people feel welcomed in our community of believers, which is so important. This should be a place where people feel welcomed. This should be a place where people feel loved and accepted and secure. This should be a family. I enjoyed Thanksgiving to be able to get together with family. Family is so important. This should be a family. But then you have a great mission to go out into the world. Verse 10. It says this, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. I mean, there's, there's probably 20 sermons just there. 
the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I want you to know that God's amazing wisdom is not only made known to you and to me and to the world, but God's amazing wisdom, you were purposed by God so that the angels, demons and heavenly angels, will will be overwhelmed. We're moving to Christmas season, and the angels were sitting there and over Jerusalem and over Bethlehem. It was like, they were shocked, overwhelmed. You have, you have an, a ministry where God is going to be doing a work in your life and the angels in heaven and the angels in hell are sitting there going, Christ. God sent his son to die for human beings, not for angels. I want you to think about that. Heavenly angels who were there for all of eternity moved away and rebelled against God, the demon force. And in that demonic force, they they were there and they rebelled against God. And when God planned to send his son, before all of eternity, he planned to send his son. It was not for fallen angels. It was for fallen people. Can't you see that immense blessing that God has done? He sent his son for you. And then we get an opportunity to reflect him to those angels. Verse 11. This was according to God's eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This was not catching God by surprise. God had an eternal purpose, his manifold wisdom that was going to be made known through you, the church. I want you to live in love. I want you to live in hope. I want you to live in joy. The triune God is a a trinity of love, of harmony. This interrelationship between God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that has been existing through all of eternity, you and I are supposed to represent into this world. We're supposed to represent in our marriages. We'll see that in Ephesians chapter 5. We're supposed to represent it in our work. We're supposed to represent it into the world, and we're supposed to represent it in this church. The unity, the harmony, the love, the oneness that's in the Trinity, you and I are supposed to represent that. Paul's ministry of suffering, God's mystery of salvation, Christ's majesty, And our unity leads to the last thing, our security. Verses 12 and 13. It says, in whom we have obtained or have boldness and access with confidence through faith in our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this, that we have two basic things that we're called to do. First, we're called to pray. It says that we have boldness and access and confidence. You have a saving purpose to pray. You are called to pray to God 
and you were called to pray for others. That's what Paul's ministry was all about. Even as he's in prison, what is he doing? He is praying for people. He's praying for their salvation. He's praying that God would do a work in their lives. But he says that I can have boldness and access, and I can come with confidence. I've said this before. If I wanted to walk into the White House this morning and just go to the White House, no one is going to let me in. I don't have access to the President of the United States. If I wanted to go to the Queen of England, I do not have access to Buckingham Palace. I don't. But if I want to go to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Majestic One, I have access, bold access, confident access, every moment of the day. Take that. Take that privilege. Pray. But don't lose heart. Paul says, as I ask you, not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul was probably very familiar with the fact that the believers that just heard that he was imprisoned and he was suffering under these imprisonments and all of these things that Paul had dealt with, Paul probably recognized that they probably were losing heart, especially when he's saying that I'm doing this for you. But Paul says, don't lose heart. That there's a redemptive aspect to your suffering, my suffering. My redemptive aspect to the suffering is that this is for your glory. Some of you are suffering immensely today. Some of you are suffering relationally today. Some of you are suffering physically today. Some of you are suffering with brokenness after brokenness in your life. I had an enjoyable Thanksgiving. I know that there's some in our congregation that didn't because of pains that are happening in the world and pains that are happening in their lives. I don't want you to lose heart. But God can take the sufferings and bring about the vindication of his son and the glory reflected through your life. So I close with this. Paul made his life about Christ. His first book, I Am Not Ashamed of the Gospel. His last book, I Fought the Good Fight, I Finished the Course, I Have Kept the Faith. Paul, from the beginning of his ministry, the middle of his ministry, to the end of his ministry, was overwhelmed with one day on the road to Damascus, where Christ arrested him, and he was never the same again. So I pray today that you would glory in the cross, that you would glory in Christ, and try to understand the unsearchable riches that he has poured out to you. So, Lord, we, um, we pray that you would remind us of Paul's ministry of suffering. Lord, Paul suffered probably more than most of the apostles, but every one of the apostles suffered. Most of them were martyred. John was imprisoned. As we go back to the Old Testament, most of those prophets were killed. But the greatest person that 
lost his life, or should I say gave his life, was your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I praise you for that. Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. In this world, you will have troubles, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Father, help us to hold to this world with a very light hand and hold to heaven with a strong grip. Father, help us not just to see Paul's ministry of suffering, but help us to see this mystery of your salvation that you're revealing to us, that you've opened our eyes, you've opened our hearts, you've opened our ears to the glory that we are one with others and that we are part together as a community of believers. Help us to be overwhelmed by that story, Lord. The story of our salvation, the story of our hope and our healing, our peace and our joy. Help us to be overwhelmed by it. Lord, help us to majestic, see Christ is majestic in our lives and help us to display that majesty through unity with other believers. Help us to work hard at that, Father, in this community and help us to see that opportunity to be able to bring other people into the faith. Help us to be a messenger of hope, a minister of reconciliation to this world. And then finally, Father, help us to know our security that we can come boldly to you and pray that we don't have to lose heart as we go through trials, Father. You are with us. Father, help us to take that message of hope into this dark world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's in the mystery of the cross. mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary and you the perfect holy one crushed your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me your blood has washed away my sin Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. By your perfect sacrifice. sacrifice I've been brought near your enemy you've made your friend pouring out the riches of your glorious grace your mercy and your kindness know no end your blood your blood has washed away my sin Table, Jesus, thank you. 
lover of my soul, I want to live for you. Lord, this morning, it's all we can say is, Jesus, thank you. We once were your enemy, but now we're, we're seated at your table. God, it's amazing mercy, amazing grace. Thank you, Lord, this morning we can join as a community and sing about you and to you, Lord, and hear your word. Like Pastor James said, Lord, we want more people to come into our church family. Not necessarily the chapel, but the church universal, God. You have a mission for us, a purpose. It's to be your hands and feet. God, we ask that we would be that this week, and we'd be inspired and moved by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a nice week.